Quick, come up with something funny to say. Hello? Yo. Bork. Oh, that's really cool. Somehow I think you're lying. Uh-huh. Oh, fail. Oh. Ah! Bad Philosophy, episode 63, recorded on April 19th, 2010. A big, shiny piece of paper. Hello, everyone. Welcome in. One, two, Bad Philosophy upsetting your balance of reality one rabbit trail at a time i'm your host steven torrance and i'm joined here today by a couple of uh bf mainstays uh, matt legler who is yet to join us he's uh, on his way had to drop some stuff off at the physics building and uh kevin saunders of course you know him you love him kevin how are you doing today i'm doing all right i'm having some spam and rice and beans sounds like a good combination i i'm still not warmed up to spam have you had it? I, I have. Um, I wasn't impressed. I guess I haven't had it prepared correctly. I don't know. I don't, I don't do much to it. Generally, I fry it up. If, I, if I'm cooking it, like, you straight to eat, like, in a sandwich or something, mm. you slice it, so you make little spam patties, fry it up, put it on some bread with some cheese. Generally, cheddar goes good with spam. Okay. And a little bit of mustard. Um, but then it can also be, you know, diced and put into other things. Like, I'm just having prepackaged red beans and rice, a little bag you buy that you boil the water, throw in the stuff. I diced it up and tossed it in there, and I had a little more heft to it. Okay. Well, good to know. I'll have to try it like that next time. It's versatile. It's kind of like tofu. Yeah. You can put it with pretty much anything. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, unfortunately, this is not MunchCast. Uh, we're not here to talk about food. We're here to talk about politics. And uh, for that, we've got someone who we've never had on the show before today who's uh, a big presence here at Texas Tech among the, uh, the Honors College and sort of the uh, um, spokesperson for, for all issues uh, political at the uh, lunch discussions that we have every week. And that is Levi Schlegel. Uh, so, Levi, thank you for, for joining us here on the show today. We, we have a little tradition, so you're the first, you, this is your first time on the show. So tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, just brief bio. It can be, you know, your personal story in two minutes. Go. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, yes, my name is Levi Schlegel. Uh, it's fourth year here at Texas Tech University, majoring in biology and global affairs. I come from a little town called Tribune, Kansas, on the west edge of Kansas, right along the Colorado state line originally. Uh, for the brief bio about myself, I don't know. I enjoy to travel, uh, the outdoors. Um, You're a very, very worldly person. Like, it, um, whenever I've been at the lunch discussions, you've kind of always been the person to give like a, a global or national perspective to uh, to the discussion. So do, do you kind of you keep up? You're you're majoring in in global affairs, right? So you co- sort of keep up with this as a hobby. Right. Yeah. Well, I try anyways. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot going on, and certainly I'm not well versed in. in all issues by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, but. nobody is. <laughs> but relatively, though, you consider yourself pretty knowledgeable. I try. I try, yeah. Okay. Well, uh, Levi is going to be adding some, uh, some, hopefully some good content to this discussion. Uh, what we're going to be talking about today is uh, a, a really contemporary issue here at Texas Tech. Uh, for, for those of you all who don't know the background, I'm, I'm going to go through it briefly here. Uh, basically, for a long time, for about two years now, I think is since the plan was initially proposed, two or three years, Texas Tech is pushing to become a Tier 1 school. Uh, what that means is they've set a goal of expanding to 40,000 students from about the 30,000 that we have now, and they want to do that by 2020. 
the reasons given, they, they want to become a tier one research university uh, in the same class as UT and A&M. Uh, they want to get additional funding from the state, which we will if we have an, an additional number of students, if we have 10,000 more. Uh, and they sort of want to gain some more national recognition. Uh, you know, UNT and uh, some other universities are starting to pass us, and uh, we, we want to kind of maintain, or at least the administration wants to maintain, our status as one of the big universities in Texas. So what this has done is it's caused a little bit of friction recently with uh, other members of the university administration, including our very own Dr. D uh, Gary Bell, uh, who's the dean of the Honors College. He basically built the Honors College here at Texas Tech University. Uh, 17 years ago, he, he started the Honors College, I think, with four students, is what he likes to say, and expanded it to now close to 1,000. Uh, I think 850 was our enrollment this year. Uh, but basically built this, the Honors College at Texas Tech. And uh, he's been a big proponent of uh, quality education at Texas Tech University. Uh, and what he, his main concern here for, I guess, if, several months now, has been that the administration is going to sacrifice uh, quality education in order to make this expansion to 40000 and this apparently heated up so much, and, and he butted heads with the administrators so much so that he decided to resign from his position as Dean of the Honors College this past Friday. Uh, this came as a big surprise to all of us. I, I don't think I'd heard anything before, it, any indications that Dr. Bell was going to do this. And, uh, you know, it's a big shakeup for the Honors College. Um, so what we're here to discuss today is kind of the, the issue, this, Bell resigning specifically, but also the issue of uh, expanding to 40000 for Texas Tech. And, you know, really the, the larger issue of uh, whether profit and whether research is, is, should be the primary uh, goal of a university or whether quality education is, is more important than that or whether you can do both at the same time. Uh, so I want to ask you, Levi, just some, some initial thoughts that you have on uh, specifically Bell resigning. Like, what, what did you think about that when you first read it? Well, I'd have to say I was, I was surprised. I mean, I certainly wasn't expecting it. Um, you know, there had been some, some rumors and, you know, circulating around campus that there was something was going on, you know, that there was a shakeup in the works um, mm -hmm. for some time now. And, um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, it really came to a head this past Friday when it, the news became public um, and concurrent stories in both the, the Texas Tech and the Lubbock newspapers that Dean Bell would be resigning. Um, so I'd say my, my initial reaction was, was I was fairly surprised. Um, I wasn't shocked. There There has been several other uh, positions that have that have become open over the past couple of years um, due to some different differences in views of strategic vision long term for the university. What are some other ones? I think arts and sciences we discussed was one the the dean of arts and sciences was that a similar issue or was that unrelated? right? So there have been several deans uh, resign or step down for various reasons in the past couple of years. Um, arts and sciences, uh, engineering, education now and now honors um, mm. as well of course of course. Um, the president of Texas Tech University was recently recently resigned and was re and was replaced by our new president, President Bailey. Yeah. Um, of course, we've had uh, a member of the Board of Regents step down. We've had the president of the Health Science Center step down. So now, none of now, not to say that all of these are in any way related to one single incident because they certainly are not. Um, but a host of, of various issues. And I think in in several of those cases, there were was at least an element of differences in opinion, differences in vision for their colleges or their departments, their universities. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, this, it seems like a big problem to me. I mean, when you have this many high-profile administrators stepping down, shouldn't uh, Chancellor Hance, who's the, who's the head of the Texas Tech University system, and President Bailey and uh, you know the provost, uh, Bob Smith, shouldn't they take this into account and maybe reconsider their actions? I mean, it seems like their their message is, is we know that we're right and we're going to you know power on through this no matter how many people resign. Well, I'd say that there's certainly um, some some members of the community who would who would take that view. Um, I don't think it's entirely a fair characterization. Like I said, I mean, though there have been several high-profile resignations over the past couple of years, they have mm-hmm. been for a variety of reasons. And um, you know, coming from my perspective as a student, you know, I'm not privy to the the inner workings and what really on behind the scenes. So sure. I can't really speak to. To, you know, if one party is more at fault in any specific case than the other, um, I think that it is important um, as as a student, just as as a citizen. I do very much value multiple voices uh, being expressed at every level of administration. In other words, even if I were to wholeheartedly agree with every with every goal that that our administration currently has set forth, um, I would still like to know that there are voices. That are heard, that are listened to, that, that provide opposing suggestions, pr- opposing opinions. That doesn't matter if it's at the university level, the state government level, our national level. And I would like to know that our president, be it the president of the university or the president of the United States, hears multiple opinions on every issue and right. is able to make that informed decision. So, Kevin, what what are your um, uninformed thoughts on this, or, or semi-informed thoughts? Um, I think I think this is indicative of a larger problem in academia that I've been dealing with recently in my own mind. Hmm. Um, I mean, this, this, this resignation has, has been said by Gary Bell to be started, be, uh, to happen because of this, this desire for tier one education. Yeah. Or tier one status as an educator. And, a, a tier one school, as I've come to understand it from reading an article and a half from two different newspapers, means that you, we have to be a strongly research-based organization. And there's lots of reasons for that. The biggest one, as for any of this, is money. Mm-hmm. Uh, universities have really become diploma mills. And not all universities, but lots of them have. Because, and, and I argue that it's not necessarily the university's fault, they are providing the service that is asked of them by the majority of their students. There are very few students who go to a place, not very few. There are many students who go to Texas Tech University because they need a degree to do the job they want. Mm-hmm. They could theoretically go to a vocational school to learn their vocation if they wanted to do that, but we've decided culturally that this this piece of paper, this degree, signifies something, because at one point in time it did. And we've um, employers have stopped looking at what the signification of it was, aka this person can has a universal education, hence the term university, Yeah. Um, and said, well, if I have this piece of paper, that means X, Y, and Z. Students want the piece of paper. Universities in their effort to make money, try and provide students the best way to get that as quickly as possible. Again, I'm, I'm speaking of kind of large tier one style u- universities 
Again, there are always obvious exceptions, but this is a general trend that we've seen. Mm -hmm. And students come here saying, you know, I'm here to put in my four, five years and get the degree I need so I can start my life. That's, that's a system of, of both people, you know, the, the providers, and we don't like to think about it in a college and education and a consumerist mindset, but the college is providing that which the people who are paying for it want. Yeah. You know, if I go into a restaurant and, you know, don't want french fries, I just, I don't want to get that, I don't need french fries with my hamburger, I don't have to get french fries with my hamburger. That's why we have, you know, a la carte menus at, like, Whataburger. And I don't know if Whataburger has one. We don't have Whataburger up this far north. But so that's what, that's what colleges are, are, are striving to provide because that's how they get lots of money. That's, mm -hmm. They can churn out people. Um, someone like Gary Bell, who I've known and actually spoken with him on a number of occasions, not a large number, but a number, really was trying to put the education back in the educational system. One of the things that I loved about the Honors College when I was at Texas Tech was the fact that it was, as as... Dr. Bell said, a small liberal arts school in the middle of a big university. Mm -hmm. And you could, you could get a much more focused, education-based, well-rounded education from Texas Tech through something like the Honors College. And again, the people who were doing that were the people who wanted to do that, because it was an opt-in sort of a thing. You could go to Texas Tech, you could sit, you know, sleep through your classes, make season everything, and get your degree at the end of it, and go on about your life where you could strive and have a desire to learn and join in the Honors College. Mm -hmm. This is not to say that people who weren't in the Honors College didn't necessarily have a desire to learn, but most of the people in the Honors College did. Again, exceptions because I'm sure some of them just wanted the thing on their big piece of paper that said Honors. Well, well that was actually, generalities. and, and I want to put a, a note in here, the Honors College and the existence of the Honors College at Texas Tech was perhaps one of the deciding factors, if not the deciding factor, that brought me here to Texas Tech. Uh, I, I looked at things like, I looked at basically honors offerings at different colleges. I looked at, at Baylor, I looked at uh, UT, uh, and I looked at the comparisons between UT's Plan 2 and the Honors College at, at Texas Tech and, and talked with people uh, in both uh, programs, and I decided that the Honors College was, was more what I wanted. Um, it was you know, it, it was one of those, like you said, it was that opportunity to have a small liberal arts college feel in the middle of a big university with all the, the amenities that go along with that, like the winning football program and, um, mm -hmm. you know, everything else. So I, I, I think it's safe to say, had it not been for Dr. Bell and his building the Honors College, I would not have come to Texas Tech University. Uh, now, granted, that's only 800 to 1,000 students out of 30,000, but... Is there not something to be said for quality? And maybe is, is that where you were going next? And it is. And, and I, I foresee in the future something of an overhaul of academia. Um, right now, we're in a position, I know this because I'm, I'm in grad school, and I'm seeing people who are trying to go get jobs and things like that, mm -hmm. that there is going to be a huge influx into the marketplace, the job marketplace of people with higher education degrees, masters, doctorates, who are trying to get jobs anywhere because there aren't any more jobs in academia. People aren't leaving their jobs as fast as they're pumping out new graduates. And so a big change is coming to academia, I'm predicting, 20 years from now. You think that's be far, far too late to help me. But I'm, I'm being conservative by saying 20 years. I don't <laughs> okay. know. It could be sooner. The economy could bounce back. Lots of jobs could open up. I don't see it happening. But lots of colleges are kind of slimming down 
or trying to get more money or both and with that I, I foresee something where or I would like to see something where that's a better way of putting it where more and more colleges small liberal arts style colleges start popping up and become more desirable for people who actually want to learn something um, I don't know if there's a way to support those, and they're never going to be as big as universities because universities are about volume rather mm -hmm. than they're about quantity over quality. Not to say you can't get a quality education at Texas Tech University or many other large universities, but when you buy 60 pounds of cheese at Sam's Club, it's not the world's best cheese. And so I would, I would like to see more things like the Honors College. Wouldn't it be amazing if the Honors College could like splinter off and become its own thing yeah. near Texas Tech? <laughs> I don't think that would happen. There's lots of problems with it. Yeah. But the, the desire, the number of people who actually have a desire for an, a, a truly universal education has not, I don't think, eh, maybe, I, I don't have numbers for this, has not increased as much as the number of people who are going to college or going to a university right. over well, the past 50 years. You can blame the GI Bill, um, who put mm -hmm. everybody who was in the war into college. So you have this influx of people with degrees who maybe and probably wouldn't have gotten them in the past. Um, now, when that happened, the degrees given out you know, around that time were what we consider you know, traditional old-fashioned college degrees. They weren't diploma mills. They weren't designed to just spit out graduates. They were this thing, you know, where people went because they wanted to learn, because they had a desire to go to academia, who just had a huge influx of people who could now go to college. Right. For free. Um, now, the market is caught up, and so there's more people went to college, more people, so you needed a degree to be competitive in the job market, and so on and so forth. And, and we're getting to the point where a master's degree is required in the job market. You've got to stay and get your MBA um, to, you know, to be competitive in the, excuse me, in the job market world. And, I mean, there, there is an upward limit. You know, eventually everybody's going to have PhDs and they're going to be worthless, but everybody's going to have them because you've got to go to college for 12 years before you can get a job. See, I, I hesitate to, to do the slippery slope thing on that. I mean, I, there's, there's got to be a limit to it, right? Like, just, it's not feasible. It's not feasible for everyone to go for you know eight years uh in academia before entering the job market i mean that's it just doesn't work uh, you know you people can't are in academia eight years before they become a doctor yeah that, that, people that's become doctors for the money not for the job yeah i, I don't know dietrists for the not for the very few again i knew i knew a guy no he wasn't an optometrist i knew my roommate was an optometry major or pre-optometry, whatever. <laughs> he was doing it because it was an easy job with lots of money. That's what he told me. He was doing that. So he was, he was. He was spending the eight years in academia to get the job. Yeah. The best job he could. I don't think he was an isolated case. Yeah. Well, I'm, what do you think of that, Levi? Any of the, that rant of Kevin's there? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I would be a little hesitant to say that um, at least in the foreseeable future with regard to terminal level degrees, PhDs, MDs. Um, I, don't, I don't see that increasing with the same same fervor that we've seen an increase in 
undergraduate education. Right. Um, I do think that certainly in today's job market, particularly in today's job market, I mean, having a college degree is an absolute essential mm-hmm. skill. And it's absolutely essential, you know, line on that resume. And I think that that, that has posed some, some problems. I think it has caused society to kind of reconsider, you know, what value that degree has. Um, and I think we're still, to some extent, we're still in that transition. We still haven't quite decided what that's going to mean. Um, I do see perhaps, you know, more more students, I think you can see it today, more students hanging out in college, getting their MBA or, or their master's degree in their field. Um, I don't know that that trend is going to last with any sizable significance beyond the point where we do have this economic, where we do have economic recovery. I think when the job market opens back up, a lot of those students who would today hang out to get an MBA would instead, you know, take, take a position um, in industry or in finance or whatever their their career path is. Uh, yeah, I I can see it. I I can see it going both ways. Like for for me, I I just I want to get back to the question though of whether quality actually matters, and and I think this is this is that fundamental dispute between uh, Dr. Bell and some of the others who have resigned and the upper administration. Who, I mean, they 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 give lip service basically to oh yeah we're going to have quality students, but without really acknowledging the fact that in order to to draw in more students to the university, we're probably going to have to lower our requirements for entry. Uh, you know, lower SAT scores probably. Uh, you know, lower admitting people that maybe we wouldn't have otherwise. Uh, being more less people aren't going to start applying suddenly, right? Well, I mean, ramping up recruiting efforts obviously is part of it, but all of the colleges are doing the same thing. I mean, they're all ramping up recruiting efforts at the same time. So, uh, you know, unless we unless we're very very aggressive, which it's hard to be, um, we're we're not going to have you know more people more quality people applying. What Dr. Bell I think was trying to do is say you know what well, we can we can keep our standards the way they are and proportionally expand by expanding also expanding our offerings in quality education and he was actively working to expand the honors college to to get a new building to get a a residence hall that was part um honors only um and and those efforts have sort of fallen by the wayside i don't know if his successor will continue them but he's he's certainly seen a setback in that regard um I mean, I can. Always, I, I look at the university now, and I see a lot of students who, uh, like you said, Kevin, are, are just here to you know get a degree and go on to an easy job that pays a lot. They're really not invested in their classes. They're perfectly okay getting C's and you know drinking Thursday through Saturday every week uh, and just sort of scraping by. Uh, and and really, you know, when, when you put that line on your resume, you can put your GPA on there, but. Uh, you know what that what that line usually doesn't show is whether you tried extremely hard, whether you actually learned the material, or whether you just sort of scraped by. Either way, you got your diploma, and uh, mm-hmm. you know I think you know employers. Some employers look at at things like um, honors that you received, uh, whether you were inducted into Phi Beta Kappa, or whether you did a lot of community service or organizations you were a part of and stuff, but. You know that's that's probably a minority. Most of them are going to look and just say, "Okay, yep, you've got a degree, and uh, what can you do?" 
Well, generally speaking, um, your degree matters for your first job. After that, your last job matters for your next job. What have you been doing in the world matters a lot more when you're looking for jobs. And since people right out of college haven't been doing that, they have to look at the degree as some sort of indication of that. After that, you know, it doesn't really matter. It matters what you've been doing and proving that you can do what you want to do in whatever job it is you're applying for. Right. I mean, I, I certainly have a problem, though, with the idea that he expressed of, you know, the university is becoming focused on profit, and like you said, they're becoming diploma farms. Uh, it, it seems to kind of corrupt, you know, that, that ideal we have of, of the, the educational institution as this, this place that's, that's separate, that's uh, kind of better than, than what you would get otherwise. You know, you go there to, uh, to enhance your, your quality of life, you know, to get a, a broader perspective on the world. Um, but a lot of people don't want that, right? And so, and, and a lot of people feel that they don't need that. That that uh, you know, critical thinking skills and and uh, a well-rounded education are not useful. You know, they're very <laughs> very pragmatic when they talk about this sort of thing. Um, even in even in their classes, I've heard a lot of people express the sentiment. You know, well. Uh, is is this going to be on the test, or you know, is this oh, is yeah. this lecture really useful to me in my career? And if if the answer is not really, they just sort of kind of tune out or go to sleep because they're here to get the grade, to move on. Right. And again, not everybody is. There are people like you and me and Levi who actually do care about our classes, but we're ever more becoming the minority because that's not right. what people want. And I don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing. I just wish there was a place, and there are places, um, where there were more of us going together. I mean, there are still small liberal arts colleges in the world, um, you know, where you know all three of your professors and on Friday nights go out and have drinks with them. Mm-hmm. Um, the same three professors you'll have your entire time you're at college because you and eight other people are studying this at school. <laughs> But the downside is you don't you don't have the money that these larger programs have that these right. larger universities have. Uh, any additional comments, Levi? You've been quiet for a little bit here. Well, I think you do have. I think you can see it on any major university in this country. You have a mix of students, um, some who who do gen- genuinely care about education, um, whether they came into the university seeking that or whether they got here and realized that they do have an appreciation for what the university offers. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are certainly a, a large percentage who are looking for a degree for that that line on the resume. I mean, and that's not, not uh, an indictment of them in any sense because, again, it's become, it's become a job necessity. I mean, it's a necessity to be able to support yourself, support a family, um, you know, to move towards that American dream. Um, so I think that's just simply a reality of of our our nation, of our culture at this point in history. And I think I don't see that changing uh, appreciably anytime in the near future. Um, but what I I would say that I think I think that the university has to um, you know recognize that its purpose is more than simply a diploma mill um, mm-hmm. that it does have a higher purpose and I think that that overwhelmingly most universities do realize that um, you know I have to believe that that you know most universities have, have a faculty certainly have an, an administration 
that although they may not agree, agree on the approach, do value education and they do value undergraduate education. Do you think it's a problem that's sort of uh, more more endemic in large universities, like, uh, you know, greater than 20,000 students, uh, you know, the sort of, the universities where it, it, that make a large profit and that need to maintain profit margins like we do. Um, something that, that sort of smaller colleges like Reed uh, in, in Oregon, for instance, don't have, that, you know, their entire student body is maybe 1,500, 2,000 students. Right. Yeah. I mean, definitely. If you have a college of of two thousand students, um, you're not you know you're not expected by by the students, by the the faculty, by you know by the board. You're not expected to be pulling in these big time national grants. You're not expected to be right. pulling in the research dollars. That's that's not your role. Um, you're expected to be an educator. Um, and and I think those those small colleges have a have an important role to play in that regard. I think that the problem is um, there is a conflict at all major universities between their two um, sometimes competing interests, and that is on the one hand we have undergraduate education, on the other hand we have graduate level education and research, which is a, which is an important, it's an essential function of any university. It's essential not only to the university's survival, it's essential, it's an essential um, product that they provide for, for their community, their state, I mean, their nation. I mean, yeah. most, of, most innovation, a lot of innovation in this country comes out of research universities. So it is important to, um, you know, to have research, um, at a university, it's important to value that. It's also, however, I think critical to value undergraduate education. I think the, and in my judgment, anyways, the two are not mutually exclusive. It doesn't have to be one or the other. There is, um, I believe, a, a balance between the two. Well, and it's a balance that I've, at least in my experience, I've seen many professors have a hard time striking. Uh, for for instance, in the CS department, I was talking with my roommate just yesterday about, and, and Matt, Matt Legler is here, by the way. He's kind of nodding in, <laughs> in agreement. Uh, Matt is in computer science as well. Uh, that many of the professors there, in fact, an, an overwhelming majority of professors are much more research-focused and uh, were, were actually brought to the university for their research skills, um, not necessarily for their, for their abilities in, in teaching undergraduates. And that uh, even, I think he said that the department chair actually said in one uh, class that he doesn't like teaching undergrads, like just flat out said to them that he doesn't like teaching them. He prefers to teach grad students or do research. And I think that this is becoming more and more of a problem uh, as, you know, the, the, balance, the balance isn't there because the majority of uh, professors focus on their research or they have to. They, they have to publish. They have to uh, get grants. And that, that's more of a requirement of them than providing good education to the students. Um, one, one thing that, that I think you may have been hinting at, I, I don't know exactly, but is, is maybe drawing sort of a separation within the university of saying, okay, these are going to be our research professors, these are going to be our graduate professors, and then this other group are going to be our undergraduate professors. Um, and that was one of the things that the Honors College sort of tried to do is, is pull in professors who were, who were not burdened by research, who could teach you know, multiple classes, uh, honors classes, and were very good at teaching undergraduates. Um, I, I don't know if that's a solution that universities would be willing to implement, though. I mean, you, so you're hiring faculty basically to 
to create an intangible, uh, to cultivate an intangible uh, benefit. Because, you know, quality education is very difficult to measure. How do you measure it? In scores and, you know, learning assessments, it's, it's very difficult to assess. But money is very easy to count. How, much, how many research dollars you, you pull in, that's a very easy thing to measure. Well, and how many articles did you publish last year? That's sure. an easy thing to count. Um, but, you know, how many of your students uh, got A's in the course? Well, that's always a subjective measurement. Uh, how many of your students published or went on to do undergraduate research? Uh, you know, that's, that's also maybe not a great indicator. Uh, it's, a, it's a much more difficult thing to measure. So, and that's, I think, why a lot of universities opt for uh, the research focus. And it, and it becomes at the expense of, of quality education. And, and maybe, okay, so maybe that's not a bad thing. Maybe students don't actually want the quality education. But isn't there, shouldn't we still serve the need of that small percentage of, you know, people like you and me uh, and Kevin who, who just want to come to a university and have good classes and good learning, you know, and, and have professors that serve that need? Because we'll pay for that. I mean, we do pay for that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think, and absolutely, I think, um, and again, I don't, I, I think that there is a sizable proportion of the student body who, who values their education um, to one degree or another and that, and that is interested in, in having a quality undergraduate education and having productive and meaningful uh, courses with, with engaged professors. And I, I you know, the problem with generalizations is that they're generally wrong. <laughs> and uh, and the, the thing is, I mean, there are some professors who are fantastic researchers and fantastic educators. And there so, are others who are, who either for personal preference or, or their own personal, you know, style and characteristics um, are better suited to one than the other. And I think that, you know, you do have universities in this country who, who have that, those sorts of split faculty amongst amongst departments where you have a research faculty and you have, a, you know, a teaching faculty. Um, traditionally, at, at Texas Tech, most departments generally have, you know, each faculty position it has a division, you know, percentage-wise, idealized division between this, this position will be X percent, you know, research and X percent administrative, which is, you know, sitting on boards and a variety, you know, attending a variety of meetings, doing in-house type administrative stuff, and X, X percentage uh, teaching. And um, I, you do see lately, I mean, with, it, with um, trying to expand the research expenditures at Texas Tech, you have had faculty brought in who are coming from a research background, and that's what they do on their researchers, and they're very good at what they do. Um, but they're not educators. And I think that mm -hmm. one of the questions that has to be asked is, are we going to make these people teach? And in some cases, I think the answer has already been no. In some cases, the answer has been yes. If the answer is yes, you have to say, you, have to say, you know, we need teachers who know how to teach. So if this person does not, we need to address that situation. You know, we need to put some measures in place to address that. And if the answer is no, we're not going to make them teach. Well, then you have the issue of, well... What what sort of resentments, what sort of issues does this raise in the department where you're telling one professor he has to teach and another one he doesn't? And, um, you know, you have a lot of, you don't want, you don't need to have that conflict between faculty. So I think it's it's one of those uh, issues that's going to have to be faced as 
as Texas Tech tries to expand the research expenditures. Because, well, certainly we have to bring in folks who can teach because, you know, if we get 10,000 more students, we got to have, you know, folks to, to educate them. And, and I, I fear that that's going to become, we get more graduate students and we get more TAs who have the same issue where, you know, they're, they're taking graduate courses and they're doing research and then they're also required to teach, but they're not, they're not even professors yet. They're not. Uh, they're not good educators at all. So yeah, some of well, some of the worst experiences in college are having TAs teach a class. I have a, I have a little jump in there as as a TA future teaching a class. I'm not offended. <laughs> okay. But something else I want to say is that generally speaking, there is no guarantee that a professor is going to be a good educator anyway. Um, so few universities make teaching a priority and especially make teaching professors a priority mm. because the, the idea has been if you know everything there is to know about a subject and you must if you have a PhD you can then teach people about it <laughs> a very um, wrong unfortunately assumption. this falls back onto um, something that uh, Paulo Freire called the banking system of education whereby the professor or the educator has the knowledge and gives it to the student and basically fills them up like a bank. They're depositing it in coins in a bank with each new piece of knowledge. But that assumes that it's as easy to teach someone as it is to drop a coin in a bank, to tell them the facts, to tell them the information, and then they'll know it. Which, as anyone who has spent any time in a classroom on either side of the lectern knows is wrong. Mm Mm-hmm. And there isn't, I mean, some colleges, I know Miami University is now trying to do this sort of thing, where they offer opportunities for their professors and for their TAs, grad students, to learn how to teach. But A, it's not mandatory. B, as you said, as when our grad students, our life are busy enough as it is. And, you know, when you're a professor, it's not any easier because the first six years you're a professor, you're trying to get tenure. And after you get tenure, who cares? Right. <laughs> So there's there's not an incentive necessarily, other than there's not an external incentive. There are certainly internal incentives to want to become a better teacher. But the, I don't think but, enough people have the internal incentives. I mean, the, well, there are certainly even if they do, there's not a necessarily a way to get that. Right. Um, they don't offer a lot of schools don't offer. You know, this is how to teach a class. The the one day boot camp for TAs in the theater department at Miami University is basically here's the syllabus for what you're going to be teaching next year, go teach it. <laughs> no no That's tips, just the no way tricks, it is. no nothing. Yeah. Um, you know this is how we grade things, and it's very much this you know throw you in the deep end and swim. Um, and I and that's because I think in part because a lot of these universities focus on research and professors have to focus on research it's publish or perish you know when you're at the tenure board it's not you know how how well did your students do it's how many papers did you publish mm-hmm. where did where did you get published what conferences have you been to and presented at uh, those things have a much greater personal impact on many professors that gets in the way of becoming a good educator which is unfortunate because we need educators so, so are we saying that, that maybe you know doing this is, is doing a disservice to society? I mean, we're churning out students who have diplomas, 
but the value is not there. Like we're not we're not putting a value behind the diploma anymore. We're saying that I mean it really is devaluing the education when we say that okay you, you got out of that school but you know your professors sucked. They were mainly you know researchers. They didn't actually teach you the information. Didn't really learn anything most likely. Um, and isn't it bad for the employers then because that that's that much more teaching and training that they have to do before that that person is ready to actually do a job for them. Yeah, but if if an employer screws up, they can fire them and get a new person within a week. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anytime, you know, basic economics tells us anytime there's an increase in the supply of something, the cost of it goes down mm-hmm. or the value of it goes down. That's supply and demand. Um, and, you know, we're pushing for more enrollment and we're pushing, you know, saying everybody should go to college and there's a big push for that. And... Uh, from a societal standpoint, from a market standpoint, and as more people get something, it becomes less rare. And from a a monetary, you know, market standpoint, can it get me a better paying job? The chances are less of that. Mm-hmm. The, the market is going down. Levi, I think. Right. I, I mean, I, I don't think that we are, um, you know, doing society a disservice per se by having. You know, professors who are more interested or simply better at research than teaching, because I, that's that's not a new development. I mean, that, mm. that that's been that's been a fairly consistent aspect of modern university life in in this country, and, and that's simply a nat- that's simply the nature of it. You have people who are very very good in their field and and do study a great service in their research. Okay, um, so, so but, you're saying it makes we make it up for it elsewhere. Right. Well, I'm, I'm saying that. That um, I think this this issue of you know uh, some professors are are better researchers than they are teachers is something we have to live with. I think the question question becomes is do we value those professors who are good educators as well as those professors who are good researchers? Mm-hmm. I, I, I in no way advocate um, you know the the firing or the you know. Uh, the blocking of researchers from from the faculty of Texas Tech University. No. Um, but on the same hand, I say you know th- this. We also need to keep those professors and to attract professors who are good educators, even um, you know if they contribute relatively low amounts to the research um, pool here at the university. And I think that one of the things we have to realize and and kind of bring it back to where we, we kicked off from was. You, you kind of have two simultaneous initiatives going on at Texas Tech right now. You have the push towards uh, 40,000 students by 2020, and you have the push towards Tier 1 University, which aren't strictly one and the same thing. I mean, 40,000 students isn't a requirement to be Tier 1. There's, no, like, there's not an X number um, of students required. However, uh, the general characteristics of Tier 1 schools in Texas, they tend to have a larger student body than, than Texas Tech. Um, so, you know, it, it's perceived that, that increasing student enrollment and all that goes with that will help in the in the push to Tier 1. But, you know, Tier 1, the, the state of Texas, you know, lineated the requirements of, of reaching that, um, you know, and some of them remain fairly ambiguous, like providing a quality undergraduate education. Now, that's a requirement of being Tier 1. Um, that's fairly ambiguous. You know, how do you say, yes, you provide quality edu- undergraduate education or, no, you fail that point? What's very clear is 
that those universities who are tier one have you know 100 million a year in research expenditures that they have offer 50 or more PhD programs, that they have X number of PhDs awarded per year, that they, you know, harbor a chapter of Phi Beta Kappa, um, or they have, a, you know, one of the national research universities that they, or sorry, one of the national um, research libraries, and, you know, that they have, you know, 45 million restricted research expenditures annually. Um, so these are the more tangible things that we can, we can measure, and I think that, um, that it's easier to focus on the things that we can categorically say yes we met that requirement yeah than it is to say while we're going to focus on research expenditures and graduate student enrollment we also are going to focus on these other more ambiguous quality undergraduate education you know quality experience pr producing students who are you know yeah. viable enter viably into the workforce that, yeah, I, I, and maybe it's just a you know gut feeling on my part that I can't you know support with with numbers, but we do we do tend to uh, to go that direction. I mean, it's it's the comes back to pragmatism. You know, we want we want to be able to measure and say that we did X, and it's it's very difficult to yeah, universities who who tried out um, gradeless you know class systems uh, where you know you get. You, you not necessarily pass fail, but you get sort of an evaluation instead of getting a grade. Uh, don't tend to do very well because there's no standard. You know, we we can't measure those people against uh, students from other universities uh, easily. And uh, you know, just the same. You know, Texas Tech may be turning out the the most the highest quality of, of students uh, imaginable, but it, if there's no number that we can put on that, no standard by which we can we can judge that it means absolutely nothing in the grand scheme of things. Uh, I mean, I for one think that there, there are standards that we could use, and I think we're, we're trying to, we're starting to implement those. Like with the, the SACS accreditation, we had problems in sort of measuring the quality of our students, and we're starting to implement those more. Uh, but those are a very small, they're a very small consideration, like you said, in, in the Tier 1 um, considerations, or in, the, in the Tier 1 criteria. Um, when it comes right down to it, well, I think we've we've discussed this issue about as far as we can. I mean, it's it's not something that's going to go away, but it'll it'll be interesting to come back in ten years and see, you know, if Texas Tech made it to forty thousand, uh, <laughs> you know, if it did, uh, how that's changed. I suspect the university. they will. Uh, very possibly. I I am skeptical. Uh, we've had you know a number of things that need to happen to get there like building more residence halls on campus those initiatives are not moving forward they're actually getting delayed um, and that's going to hurt us i think i, I don't think we're going to hit 40,000 by 2020 but we might hit it by 2022 or 2023 um, but it, you know it'll be interesting to come back and see how things have changed uh, for the better or for the worse um, once that happens um, well, gentlemen, I want to thank y'all both for for coming on the show today. Uh, Kevin, did you have any uh, closing comments before we uh, wrap things up here? Uh, I think I've been doing pretty good so far. I think you have too. <laughs> um, so, Levi, thank you for coming on Bad Philosophy. Uh, I know it's your, your kind of a different experience. You've, have you ever done a, a podcast here at, at Texas Tech before? I have not. So, first time for absolutely. Everything. <laughs> and uh, we really appreciated having you on here. Is there uh, is there any way that that people can follow you? Anything you'd like to plug? Uh, are you on social media at all, or are you kind of disconnected from that? <laughs> well, um, I'm not. I don't really need to plug anything. Um, 
I'm not a uh, I guess confident man. As uh, is up is up. To, <laughs> I'm not as I'm not as up with the technology as I probably should be. Um, but you know, I I can email. So yeah, yeah. You know. So so do you, do you feel like giving out your email address to our to our fans? I can if if that go go it. ahead. I'm sure I'm sure a couple of them will want to. Find right, right. You know, comments and criticisms yeah. and so forth. Rants. Um, yes. Yeah. It's just uh, Levi. Dot Schlegel at ttu.edu. That's uh, L-E-V-I dot uh, S-C-H-L-E-G-E-L. Absolutely. At ttu.edu. And uh, Kevin, what'd you like to plug? Uh, well, same old, same old. Twitter.com slash Kevsund. Um, and figure everything else out from there. All right. Well, uh, you can follow the show, if you'd like to, on uh, twitter.com slash badphilosophy. Uh, we try to record every week, but uh, I am still a student here for another month, uh, as is Levi, and, uh, you know, assignments come up. So, if the show doesn't go up immediately, I apologize, but I will try to get this one up as soon as possible. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Bad Philosophy. So, uh, so Kevin Levi is here. Hey, Levi. Levi Johnson. Levi Schlegel. Levi Schlegel. I don't know Levi Schlegel. You should. Yes, I do. He was here. You'll probably maybe remember him. Is, is he, can I get on camera? Um. Well, maybe. Here, hold on a second. Okay, I know Levi. Yeah. And you remember Kevin Saunders? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to forget me. Yeah. He he said that with with just a slight tinge of. Uh, I don't know what yeah, that was. Yeah, Exasperation. Yeah, I, I remember Kevin. <laughs> I remember Kevin. Yeah. Don't get me started. Oh yeah, it's Kevin Saunders. You really are obsessed with Plants vs. Zombies, aren't you? Dude, I've read all of the descriptions in the Almanac. Have you? Of course. <laughs> I'll, I'll be honest with you, Stephen. I'm playing it right now. Oh, my God. <laughs> I hate you. Badphilosophy.com. He's so scary.